All right. All right. Welcome, everybody, to the, uh, I think, the 34th edition of the Old Grad Podcast. And uh, I'm your host, Jamie Schleck, and I'm here tonight with our esteemed uh, classmate, uh, Luke Knittig from Company Charlie Four. Go go Cowboys, right? That's what what you guys are? Cowboys? That's exactly right. Yeah. Go Cowboys. Yeehaw. Hardly esteemed, but Jamie, I sure appreciate, appreciate you having me on. Well, thanks for thanks for agreeing to be on, Luke. I appreciate it. I, I wonder if they're still the Cowboys. They probably are not. I'm gonna guess that that is not the mascot anymore for C4. Do you know? Oh, I think it is. At least it was until a few years ago. Yeah, I saw it somewhere at games and and other things. I sure hope that hasn't gone by the wayside. It seems kind of like like not PC to be only about one gender. You know, cowboy be cowboys and cowgirls or cow people. Yeah, I haven't given that a lot of thought. I guess you're right. I kind of stepped into that, but uh, I don't know. I still hope that there are cowboys there. Yeah, I, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. So um, uh, so today is uh, August 16th, and um, I noticed that just, just recently they introduced the uh, class of 2024. Uh, they did their march back from, uh, from Beast, and uh, the, the core is back in action, So uh, so that's good. I want to make sure that we're live here too. I want to make sure that we're getting some some people on the line that they can confirm that we're uh, we're getting sound to people. So I see we got two people on the line with us, four people now. If somebody could just give me like a thumbs up in the uh, chat box or make a little comment or smart smart out uh, comment, that would be great. Just let us know that we're uh, we're live. So I'm getting a thumbs up I, from somebody. I saw that they said, you know, a march back like no other. I didn't see any coverage or whatever of it, but I guess it had to be a, a march back like no other. Um, I guess we're all the same. We have friends who have uh, uh, kids up there now, and they seem to be doing okay. But, gosh, it has to look different. Yeah, you know, they, I think their motto is um, something like something rhymes with four, like never before or something, like never before 2024. And so that's what I mean, like never before. It is like never, beast like never before. Yeah, that makes sense. Did you see some of the like video and some of the like Instagram photos and stuff of our day? How that all went down? No, I mean just you know the the pictures I've seen could have worked for any year. You know, pictures. Well, <laughs> I take that back. That's actually absolutely not right. You see a parent saying, "See if you can pick out my kid." You know, he's one of the ones wearing a mask, <laughs> so the parents can't even pick out their kids after the haircut and the hats or whatever else. So, so it is different. <laughs> I guess you can't tell if somebody's like smirking behind that mask. Like you're not gonna yell at them, smirk off, smirk off, Schleck. That was my thing. I can never <laughs> stop. Like with somebody, some of these firsties or one of these like upperclassmen make some smart out, you know, uh, comment. I like would always like chuckle and like, they'd be just, you know, grilling me. But if you get the mask, you can hide behind it, I guess, these days. Yeah, there, 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 there might be some advantages we don't uh, don't realize to a mask. <laughs> I saw also like when you go to see the cadet in the red sash, they have like this, like plexiglass you're like saluting through plexiglass to the to the cadet in the red sash they did that too well I, I guess nobody's getting in your face right i mean that that getting in your face kind of spit going off of your experience just that can't be happening i don't guess <laughs> you know i was talking to our classmate holly west holly is uh the g5 so in, in charge of operations and she's all involved and i mean you know months and months and months ago when this all kicked off I was texting back and forth with her and she was like just sending like very brief like replies like I'm I'm, I'm in it I'm, I'm in the thick of it we're planning for every possible situation because you, you can imagine the way the army plans and then you got this new thing I mean there's all these different permutations of what they were going to do and what was going to happen but 
she was telling me now they've got all 4,900 cadets on West Point proper right now. Like, that is a lot of, because most of the time, people, you got somebody someplace, like somebody's doing some training or the trip section or there's a game or something. All 4,900 are on West Point right now. And, and the gym is closed. You can't go in the gym. Oh, you have to sign up. You have to sign up and, and, uh, and have an appointment to go to the gym. And like she said, like people are going bonkers. They're just going like they were, everybody was anxious to come back because they, they want to get back there to see their classmates and everything. But now people are just going right. stir crazy. And then I guess the football team is still preparing to maybe play and they're doing all right. That'll be interesting to see. We could have uh, the uh, national championship yeah. could be the army Navy. game. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was, I was, I bought tickets. I don't know what's going to happen. Those, all those tickets. I bought tickets to uh, the Oklahoma game. That's not going to happen, I guess. Right. I don't think so. I mean, I don't know. You know, I, I know some folks seem to think they're going to want to try to play uh, Navy, Army. They would have the discipline to play, but uh, I don't know. I, to me, if there aren't any athletics this fall, then it seems like maybe we ought to follow suit. I wonder what the deal is for, like, some of these plebes that were – I mean, think about it, plebe year. They were – like, middle of March, they haven't been back at West Point since, like, the middle of March. Like, they're basically probably reverted back to being civilians because they hadn't been at West Point that long, like – Imagine what that must be like going back, like in this surreal experience of being a yearling for the, for that class of 2023. Yeah. I mean, I, I, of course, I guess in different times with wars and other things, there probably have been interruptions, but maybe nothing quite like this. Yeah. I, I don't know. It's, it's, you're right. It's, it's surreal. It's kind of hard to, hard to picture. Well, I'm sure we're just going to roll with the punches. That's what, that's just what happens. It's the way that that's the way it happens. So, Luke, give me the rundown. You have a really cool job, it seems to me. You're working at the McCain Institute. You're doing, and I l- let me just also confess, I have a little bit of um, anxiety about returning to the Old Grad podcast tonight because we haven't done it in a long time, and I'm doing it with a professional because you are a professional podcaster. So you can give me some tips and maybe let me know what I'm doing. But um, so, so tell me about your role there and what you're doing. Well, I don't know. You seem to do more homework than than I do. So I head up communications for the McCain Institute. It's part of Arizona State University, and it is a little bit what it sounds like. It's a it's a legacy outfit tied to to John McCain and his dad and his dad's dad because they all had amazing legacies of of public service and Mrs. McCain herself in her own right. And it's about character driven leadership training more than anything else. So the flagship program started taking middle executives from around the world folks that were doing well but wanted to take it kind of the next level and uh, giving them an almost uh, war college-like experience for the better part of a year and sending them back with their action plans and keeping tabs on them. And we have you know, somebody, for example, that's the health minister of Latvia right now. And we had someone that was a former defense minister in Georgia. So that's that's been the flagship. A bunch of other programs. We take on human trafficking, both sex and labor trafficking, uh, rule of law. We uh, step up and help human rights activists, the things that are happening in Belarus and Hong Kong and, and, and the like uh, occupier time. So neat, neat outfit. But at the end of the day, it's, 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 it's about leadership and, and character and, and, and kind of step up in the way that, that American leaders have over time. And that I, I think John McCain uh, embodied much of his career, even when he made mistakes, right? He kind of stepped up. So you retired from the army after 21 years, I think you said, right? 
That's right. So was this, was this the first role that you stepped into following your service in the military? Or were there any, was there any in between stuff? No, I mean, I, 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 I followed uh, General Corelli, who was the Army Vice Chief of Staff, who had retired a year or two in front of me and helped him or tried to help him with his brain research outfit and had a, had a good time uh, with that. And then kind of moved from that and tried to help another old boss of mine who ran a consulting firm and, and, and wanted them to be a little bit more visible uh, than they uh, had been. So uh, I... That you know took up probably five years after I retired in 2012, and then this opportunity with McCain Institute uh, came along after a big changeout at uh, at LMI, the company, the consulting company that I was uh, working at. So uh, uh, Ben Frankly, uh, General Frankly, uh, who I'd worked with some in Afghanistan, and when I was on the Army staff, uh, works at the McCain Institute, and kind of got my foot. Uh, and the door and just, you know, been, been there coming up on three years uh, now. So I guess it's my third job. If you look at it like that. I was fascinated. Actually, I listened to part of a podcast that you had with general Frankly, and you guys are talking about the role of torture and what it means in terms of modern day warfare. And, and you kind of chronicled back the history of, of torture in different environments and, and such. And he seemed uh, really super uh, educated or informed on that space and was categorically, obviously, I mean, John McCain was categorically against uh, uh, any type of torture uh, of any type, but that was an interesting podcast that you did. Well, I appreciate that. And, and you know, gosh, I, I really like what you're doing with your uh, podcast. I try to do mine, kind of courage and character and get folks kind of 20 minutes at a time because all the times these are busy folks, but 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 you're you're right. That one, uh, General Frankly talking about torture and, and Ambassador Clint Williamson. There are five ambassadors that work for the McCain Institute, and you know General Frankly, gosh, you know uh, in Afghanistan uh, did amazing things uh, say to prevent torture, but really to look after uh, prisoners of war and other things. But Clint Williamson is the really big story there. If you peel it back, he was in the Balkans and discovered. Um, grave sites uh, uh, where, you know, ethnic cleansing had happened and actually uncovered some of those sites with his hands and, and was instrumental in Milosevic uh, going down um, eventually. So, you know, two kind of general ambassador combination in that podcast, but you see generals and ambassadors working uh, lots of places, need to get to talk to them, but they're, yeah, very, very serious about it. Well, I mean, you mentioned also about this podcast too, the purpose of this podcast. So let me just take a, a little bit of a, a sidestep here to to recall why it is that we're having this podcast. I mean, we uh, this is really the genesis of a couple of conversations that I had had with our classmates a couple of years ago saying that as we're doing fundraising, because I'm our class fundraising chair, I was having these very rich conversations reconnecting with classmates and I felt like there was just a real magic if there was a way to share those conversations with people. And that was really the, the thought process behind creating this podcast. And so, you know, we, we have four primary objectives. You know, number one is to foster continued connections among our classmates. Uh, number two is to remember our fallen classmates. Uh, number three is to connect us closer to the activities of West Point, stay connected to what's going on there, learning about uh, what's going on there. And fourth is to celebrate the accomplishments of our fellow classmates and we're needed to lift each other up. And, um, and speaking of that too, I mean, you, did you see that just this past week, um, 
General D.A. Sims took uh, took command of the 1st Infantry at, at Fort Riley. I did see that. I, I don't know him or remember him that well, but still, you know, pretty darn amazing to have a, a division commander from our class. You know, Greg Anderson's doing well, and it, it, it's, it's great to see. Yeah, we have folks uh, stepping out into command. Yeah, and, and so uh, that was one thing. And also, I mean, we've got some class, we, some of the, some of the um, children of our classmates are now at West Point taking on these major leadership roles. The regimental commander for first regiment is uh, Tyler Shackleton, who is uh, the the uh, son of uh, Dan Shackleton, who was a company one. So two uh, first reg uh, uh, legacy leaders there from first reg. And then also I saw that uh, Lexi West is company commander for uh, company E3. So that's pretty cool. Good gosh. I can't believe we got so old. I can't believe I can't believe we got kids that are like. Oh, it's a good thing. It's a good thing. So tell me about I'm your family. Leadership. Yeah. Tell me about your family. You you got kids. You got what? What's your situation? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm blessed in that regard. Wonderful wife, originally from uh, South Africa. <laughs> I won't give you the long uh, story on that. She's a, a nurse. Uh, works at a local hospital here. Handles stroke uh, care and does amazing work two two daughters and they got to be army brats for uh, a, a little while one's in college you know hoping to get back physically to college in a few weeks and the other one's uh, going to be a senior in in high school so they've, they've done all right obviously the pandemic has uh, kind of thrown curveballs at all of us but uh, but yeah very very blessed with one wonderful family where's your daughter going to school the one that's so in college my, uh, yeah, my oldest is uh, going to Mary Washington down in Fredericksburg. It used to be the the uh, Women's College of Virginia. Now it's, uh, of course, uh, co-ed. And I, I don't think she's going to follow my footsteps. She's going to probably be medical and follow my wife's uh, footsteps. And my, my youngest, she's uh, she's going to be my – and she wants to act and sing and change the world. So that's kind of her goal. So so we'll, we'll see. Uh, good for good for her. That's great, isn't it? I mean, it's the best thing having. I've I'm blessed also with two daughters. I love having daughters. They're just they're so great. And I th I think actually one of the things that I, I've mentioned this before on other podcasts, like it changes your perspective. I believe I've become a better a better person and a better man because I have daughters. I think that really it's has changed has changed me. I think um, you know for the better. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. You know, I guess we're both outnumbered, it sounds like, uh, at, at times. But, yeah, no, it's absolutely, it absolutely is uh, is the case. I, I I'll, You know, everybody brags about their kids, but I'll just real short with my youngest daughter. I, I almost was a bad dad. I saw these signs, probably like a lot of us now, you've seen all these campaign signs for primaries and different things. And somebody was running for um, county board, I believe it was. And I saw these signs stacked up of the person I recognized that had run for county board and didn't win. And I was like, ah, you know, my daughter, she likes to go down to the Potomac and pick up trash and pick up things. That's great. But I was like, how oh, are these signs? And I don't want these in front of the house. I need to throw them out. I was about ready to throw them out. What she had done with them is her and her friends had come up with the idea to paint over the signs and make them into Black Lives Matter uh, signs in a charity. And they've done that. And they've sold like hotcakes. And I'm not trying to get political for a second, but I just thought, you know, what a neat way to recycle uh, signs. And that was kind of her project just all on her own. So pretty neat. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, you know, I, you mentioned, you've listened to some of the other podcasts and, and, uh, you know, what, what, what were some of the things that were impactful to you from those, those other podcasts that, that we, of our classmates that you listened to? 
Well, it filled in uh, a, a lot of blanks. It's interesting, you know, memory's a funny thing. The the Keegan and Schwarzkopf exchange, I guess over time, I didn't have that exactly right. So I actually just kind of listen to that and have it fixed kind of properly uh, in my mind. I got a kick out of, you know, I, I didn't pay attention to what type of beer it was or whatever. I guess none of us knew exactly what type of beer it was or Heineken and all that kind of thing. So that was that was really neat. Um, you know, catching up to, to Mark Beeger, who kind of saved my bacon in the Pentagon a number of uh, of times and realizing now here he is a chief of staff at a major uh, university. And of course he was chief of staff at West Point uh, prior to that. Um, I, you know, you, you mentioned Holly West. That's not someone I knew well there. I think we all knew uh, her, but to know the role that she's in there and that she had uh, kind of studied superintendents and the like. I had a few moments, I guess we all did, I suppose, with uh, with Dave Palmer. I even saw him later on in my <laughs> after my uh, or time at, uh, at West Point. I don't know. There's a lot. I mean, I'll tell you what, you, you cover a lot of ground in your podcast. Uh, um, uh, you know, I got to go back and listen to a lot more of them, but I've listened to probably five, six, seven of them. And a lot of things, Ralph Paredes. I mean, hell I've roomed with Ralph and I'll get kind of personal here for a second. I mean, why not? Let's dive into it here. Um, to this day, I, you know, Ralph's amazing. I think I'm, a long list of people that run through a wall for Ralph Paredes. I mean, he's just one of those kind of people. I think, you know, anybody that knows that, but I, I offended Ralph as we came close to, to graduating. Cause I made some kind of crack about him going infantry. I mean, I have the highest regard for folks that are going infantry, but I'd said something about, you know, brand X, wherever I listened to your podcast, I didn't realize Ralph wanted to go engineers, which is what I went. So I, you know, I wasn't trying to offend him, but I, I, I think, you know, at some point, he you know he wanted to go engineers. He went infantry and did amazing. Had an amazing career. And I didn't know why that was so offensive to him until I heard your podcast that kind of filled in a blank for me. Huh? How about that? You know, um, I was actually having this conversation back and forth with my nephew, who's a firstie at West Point. He's trying to decide between FA, uh, infantry, and and engineers. You know, it's kind of back and forth, thinking through the whole thing. And we're talking about the different you know pros and cons. And, uh, I mean, going infantry is not bad. And you think about, like, you know, in terms of opportunities in the Army, uh, that keeps everything open, keeps everything open for you. Well, you know, for me, I'll jump in. You know, I, I went engineers, but looking back, um, we'll probably talk about that. I was a mule rider and other things to get to that. Right. But, you know, I, I, that cannon, I didn't wear ear protection for, like, three and a half plus years. I was a mule rider, and I lost a lot of hearing in my left ear from being down there. Army scored a lot of touchdowns when we were there, which was a good thing. But that cannon going off my left ear. So when I went for my commissioning physical, they said, hey, pal, you can't go combat arms. You lost a lot of hearing. And I was brainwashed enough where I said, well, what do you mean I can't go combat arms? You know, that's what we're trained to do. You got to do that. I wanted to be an armor. I want to be cavalry, right? That was I went to Scott Platoon Leader School. I managed to do that. And they said, well, sorry, you're not going to go armor. You're not going to go artillery because you've lost a lot of hearing. So then I went to engineers. And then it was funny. I went to first armor division and armor personnel carrier with demo and hell of a lot louder than any tank I was ever in. It was kind of funny looking back. But and but but there were these other possibilities that I didn't even think about. They said, you could go any other branch you want that's not combat arms. And I didn't even give it a second thought. And sometimes I look back and go, maybe a little dumb. I should have thought about some of those other branches. So tell me, you said that you mentioned, you like in the in the pre-call notes here, that you've had a couple interactions back and forth with uh, General Palmer, that that hearing about Holly West's perspective and how actually impactful he was on the history and the legacy of West Point, 
was it was very surprising to me but i guess so help me understand your interactions yeah, with I'll him be, i'll be quick so my my three palmer interactions one when i was a plebe i went over to play basketball and they're like hey you guard that guy there i'm like okay and i looked and i realized it was the soup so that was kind of intimidating wait to, he played basketball with cadets yeah it was like a pickup basketball game on like a I think, hell, I, you know, I should have been going to church. I was a good Catholic, but I don't think I went to church. I think it was either Sunday morning or Saturday morning, and the soup was just playing pickup basketball. And they're like, hey, please, you cover him. And I'm like, and it, you know, I wasn't that stupid. I kind of caught on. I'm like, well, I guess I probably shouldn't foul him, George. So that was cool. So that made me think a little differently of him. Um, and then as a, as a first day, I guess we all got invited over to the soup's house, right? And I was at Mac Barracks, and, you know, I thought, well, hell, I don't think it's cold, but I'm like, it's just the house is just literally across the deal. But I didn't count on you have to like wait before you get into the house. So when I shook his hand, my hand was cold, you know, not really cool hand, but really cold. And he says, don't they issue you gloves? And I thought, oh man, I'm gonna get written up, you know, <laughs> because my hands are cold. So that wasn't much of an interaction. But but uh, in 2008, there was something called the Service Nation Summit where John McCain debated Barack uh, Obama and there's wider, big push around uh, national service and that was their whole town hall debate was given over to that but there was a whole sequence uh, of events and um I, I got to go to some of that and you know dave palmer was right in the front row for a lot of that and i talked to him during breaks and other things and he was pushing uh national service um uh, in, in such a constructive way which was right in line right service to the nation i mean that's that was kind of his thing when we uh, we were there and uh, it was just so interesting to talk to him in 2008 you know so far past, uh, uh, you know, when we were at the academy. Did you listen? Uh, so you mentioned also you watched the um, the video that we did for the uh, All Academy Challenge that that showed the uh, Schwarzkopf speaking. And for those who are listening, I'm assuming that you know that this is the big week for fundraising for West Point. The All Academy Challenge we're we're being measured every which way as a class, as an academy, as a decade by your state of like participation in this fundraising event. And it's not about the dollars, it's about participation rates. So we want people to be as involved as possible. But I was thinking about this. So I was listening to the podcast, I was listening, I was watching the Keenan, the Keenan video, and then also overlaying the Schwarzkopf talking and everything. What do you think General Palmer was thinking when Keenan asked that question, right? Here's your classmate up there who's just, you know, the, the, the head cheese from, you know, uh, from Desert Storm. It's like, just some, like, that must have just oh, been. Oh, I know. I mean, I, you know, the impression I had was that Palmer was a real teetotaler and, you know, not a guy that drink a beer. Who knows whether that's true or not? But that was the sense I had because he sure didn't look comfortable with that beard in his head, right? Schwarzkopf down at two gulps is what I remember. And Palmer was like, oh, gosh, I have a beer uh, kind of thing. I don't know. I can't imagine he thought it was welcome, right? I mean, <laughs> it must have been like, what the hell is that? But, but he went with it. That must have been. Think about it. Those guys were classmates. They're both class of 56. Right. So they're both there, like, you know, serving out the end of their, you know, careers are going to be both done within a few months. You know, what a night right. that must have been. Wouldn't, wouldn't you like to be a fly on the wall for the after, you know, the after the lecture dinner or beers or whatever they were doing just to sort of like see how that goes down? Well, you know, and I went back, of course, I think we remember, you know, Palmer had written summons of the trumpet and had, had pretty heavy duty. I think heavy duty, at least he was in the thick of things at MACV and in Vietnam, right? So, I, you know, I, I guess I think Dave Palmer's still alive, right? That's what he is, yeah, said. still alive. Um, yeah, so, I don't, you know, Palmer probably had more 
lot more of awareness of things than what we, you know, realized. Yeah, I would have loved to have been a fly on a wall. Probably a lot. Think about that. They both had that seminal, to me, must have been seminal Vietnam experiences that, that, uh, that, 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 you know, propelled or guided them in so many respects. Had to be so hard leading, like leading when you've got draftees. We never had that experience, you know, like that had well, to be so I, hard. I, I, I'll jump in there. I mean, that's part of how I went to West Point. My dad was drafted and went to Vietnam and I, I uh, you know, I think, you know, obviously I'm biased because, you know, he went, he served, he did his thing, and uh, and he served well. And, uh, you know, I get all volunteer for such a treasure and whatever else, but I think we do this service and not acknowledge the folks that were drafted, went, served, did their job, and did it well and, and came back. My dad had a better career before he got drafted than, in many respects, he ever regained when he came back. And I just think that's something we need to pay more attention to. So what was his story? Like, what was he doing before and then after? And how, how did it all go down? He was what a was very he? successful surveyor, helping survey walking dams and construction on the Arkansas River. And he came back and, you know, bought a Ford Cougar and then totaled it and they couldn't get it replaced. And just had a hard time kind of finding as good a career making it initially anyway, finding a job, making as much money as he was before he was drafted. I mean, he clearly found his way, but, but uh, um, I, I don't know. I just think we, we don't acknowledge the, uh, we just don't acknowledge that enough. The folks that were just drafted, went and did the job and came back. And then they typically had a year or two of reserve duty after that, which wasn't much fun after, you know, serving and, in, 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 in combat that, that, that's, you know, as you know, so I don't want to dwell on it, but, but for me, it was my motivation to join the military. I didn't want to do it the way he had to do it, but, but, you know, it had such a huge impression on me because, you know, all his stuff was in the garage from, you know, when he had served stuff that he had left over his duffel bag, things like that. And he had a slideshow from when he served in, in Vietnam that he wouldn't break out very often, but, you know, made quite an impression on me. So, he was influential in your being interested in West Point. What did he think of like West Point officers? What did he think of the concept of his son going to West Point? That was like a, a pretty big motivation. Well, I mean, I, something got lost in translation because, you know, I, I, I went to Catholic schools uh, until like third or fourth grade and then went to public school because we couldn't afford to keep going to Catholic schools. And, and, and so in high school, there was a little, advertisement for West Point, one of those little tear things you can tear off and send a postcard in. And I sent it in like in eighth grade and West Point said, yeah, you're too young, which to their credit, looking back, they're like, you know, you're too young. It was a nice formal letter, but here's some books you could read about West Point. And I went to the library and got them. So, you know, I, that's how I was really catching up and learning about West Point. And I do remember asking my dad, like, you know, did you ever serve with some West Point officers? And it seemed like you guys said, oh, I think I had an officer that were West Point, but he didn't really differentiate or or no, but when I learned I was getting into West Point, no joke. I told my parents, "Have hey, I got into West Point? I, did, you know, did early admission. It showed up like before Christmas, best day of my life, kind of thing." I'm sure a lot of people had similar experience. My parents said, "We're in Arkansas, is that?" So I just, I don't know. I don't think West Point had, and West Point officers had not made a real impression on my dad. So let's let's talk about that. Like going, like by the way, the arc of the podcast we're going to follow as we dealt with the here and now. We'll go back to pre-West Point. What made you think about going to West Point? I think this is a good segue for that. So you get the tear off. You went to Sunday school. You got the literature. You get the pre-candidate mission. Did you have teachers that talked to you about at West Point? I'm like, what, what put West Point even on your on your radar that as it was like? I mean, you, you said you applied on your own and you got to get it admitted yeah, on your own. I mean, 
you know, I, I get you can exaggerate these stories over time, I suppose, but those books really made an impression on me. And you're reading about Eisenhower, MacArthur, all that. I mean, it really did. It did. It just it just had a huge impression on me. And I did apply them all. And I think back, you know, I, I'm sure I'm not alone in this kind of thing. I hadn't had typing yet. I took typing as a senior. And, you know, you need to get the thing in before that. So my buddy, Dave Johnson, um, had had typing. So he typed my application for me because I think it had to be in typed written, right? And I look back and I didn't think about that much at the time, but you know, the fact that he helped me out and did that was kind of a, kind of a big deal. Um, and then I, um, you know, I had a civics teacher who probably knew a senator in our state a little better than I realized that, that, that I'm sure helped me, but you know, I had good grades and all that kind of thing. I don't know. I'll, I'll tell you how naive I was and how it kind of probably carries on to other aspects of my career. I really thought when you applied to West Point, it was the same as applying to ROTC because the paperwork looked the same. And kind of thought, well, if you don't get into West Point, then you must have a chance to go to ROTC. So I never even sent in the paperwork for like ROTC and the other stuff. So I don't know what the hell. I did get into Vanderbilt and a couple other places. I don't know how to pay for it. But if I got into West Point, I guess I'd had time because it was before Christmas, but I, I'd have been scrambling. <laughs> so you got in uh, early admission before Christmas. Right. Yeah. But you mentioned also Boy State had a lot to do with it too. Or at least you were you were introduced yeah. to other people that were interested at West Point at Boy State, which was in your junior year, I think, right? Yeah, I mean that was kind of an intimidating aspect of it. Uh, um, Boy State was in my hometown, Conway, Arkansas, north of uh, of Little Rock, and you know, like, usually I get folks like, "Yeah, I drove through Arkansas once," kind of thing. If you did, you probably didn't drive too far from where I went to Boy State. But uh, I went there, and it's just really no joke. I, I go there, and I didn't, you know, I got into Boy State, and, and, and maybe taken a little bit for granted since I, you know, did okay in my high school, and it was in my hometown. But I didn't know how it worked, and I got there, and you know, go in, you register, and other things. One of the very first people I met, no joke, was Shannon Beebe, and he, I guess, because he was campaigning already. He's like, "Hey, good, to, you know, nice to meet you. I'm Shannon Beebe. I'm running for governor." And I'm like, "Oh, you, you run for things at Boise, at Boise State? I didn't realize that." And then the next thing he said is, "I'm going to be going to West Point." I'm pretty sure he said it like that. Like, "I'm going to what?" I'm like, "Oh, you're going?" I'm like, "I'm thinking about applying and would love and." hope and, you know, dream of going to West Point. He said, I'm going to West Point. Then I ran across a couple of other folks, the governor's, the actual governor's son, Frank White's son and somebody else. And they all were saying, yeah, I'm going to West Point. I thought, well, these folks got an inside track, but you know, I, I tried it anyway. That's pretty wild. So you, you met Shan, where was she? Shannon was from Arkansas, but where was he from in Arkansas? He's from Hot Springs. So not, you know, not too far, you know, kind of West of Little Rock. I was from North. Uh, of Little Rock, but it is weird looking back, and you know I remember him so clearly. We got to know each other at Boise State. I guess everybody got to know him because he came so close to becoming governor. He lost to to uh, uh, an African American, uh, actually, which is as close as we've had to having a black governor of Arkansas, which is a shame. But but he lost to that. But then he got Boise uh, Nation. Uh, but everybody knew Shannon. He was just you know probably the most charismatic uh, person at at Boise State. So I got to know him, and I. I guess I, I kept in touch with him, and then we had, we both learned that we were going to West Point. We we traveled there together. We flew up together along with a few other cadets, and and uh, man, we really we became he became my best friend. Um, you know, kind of from from when we flew up. Was Clinton Clinton was the governor of Arkansas back then, right? When you were in Boy State, I think he yeah, might have been. That's funny you say that because we didn't talk about this in the pre-call, but. Um, Clinton, you know, he'd had that, you know, famous moment of meeting Kennedy, and he would always make a point to talk. So Clinton came and spoke, and uh, I waited around, really just to be able to tell my parents that I asked the governor a question. Not that many people waited around. Now, I actually didn't like his speech. I thought, 
he's trying to act too much like Kennedy, right? This was like 86, I suppose. And I thought, this guy's trying to act a little too much like Kennedy. He's putting on airs, but I'll ask him a question. And I asked him a question, something about higher education in Arkansas. You'd think I'd remember. And I'll tell you what, I felt like he made me feel like the most special person ever, like that, that classic Quentin Charm. You hear about whatever you think of the guy. i tell you what, I mean, I felt like he talked to me for 10 minutes. It couldn't have been, um, but just completely, you know, I went away going, wow, this Bill Quentin is pretty uh, pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. People talk about um, I, I, I did a close-up program in D.C., and some grad students who ran that were saying, oh, you know, Bill Clinton might be, this was in 88, 80, yeah, I guess 86 as well. You know, he might be running for president someday. I'm like, oh, no way, you know, that, I don't see how that could happen, but what did I know? Hey, by the way, I just want to take a, a quick, I want to just quickly um, acknowledge and admire your background. <clears throat> you're not able, you won't be able to hear this on the podcast if you're listening, but Luke's got this, like, really gray hog looking background he's got there <laughs> he's got the diploma you got you got books is uh you got the mccain stuff and um and I, i'm looking at mine and i'm just like wow this looks like shit i got like oh, just no, two you black got, you got more than if you look at room raider yours is more <laughs> what you ought to have but you know i do my podcast and i feel like you know i had i have kind of a makeshift studio downtown when we were working downtown so i've tried to throw up some McCain and other things to at least get kind of the in the arena podcast, you know, backdrop because we put them on YouTube as well. Let's just digress real quick for uh, just commercial break on that too. So it's called in the arena. You can, right. you can um, subscribe to it through iTunes and Stitcher and all those kind of things. SoundCloud, all that, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. You've had a lot of really great guests on. I mean, I was listening before you had general, frankly, you had, um, I'm drawing a blank on the guy, the West Point guy who was Ukraine uh, ambassador. Uh, Bill Taylor, yeah. Bill yeah, Taylor. Bill Taylor. You had Dr. Burks way before she was like well known for uh, coronavirus. You had her on. Um, who, who, and, and you mentioned too, like Bill Taylor, you just sat him down and just started going, just having a conversation with him. You barely had any time to prepare for that, right? Yeah, that one. I mean, I try to prepare more, but he was, uh, and we have, a working group uh, that looks at Russia and he was the, the guest speaker that day. And I, I knew he was coming and asked and maybe we get him for the podcast and he's like, well, we're not going to ask him till he comes. And, and, and then on practically no notice, he said, I'm happy to, to do it. I mean, that, that was a little bit of a, an exception. I do try to prepare and line folks up in advance, but you got to be, you know, quick to do it. I'll tell you a humbling one I had recently. Um, we talked to uh, the, 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 the current ambassador from Vietnam to, uh, the United States, Ambassador Nock, and then we also talked to the past immediate ambassador from uh, the U.S. to Vietnam. But, you know, I was under some pressure to get it done, the 25th anniversary of normalization of relations with uh, with Vietnam, which Senator McCain and Kerry and others, had a, and Bill Clinton, for that matter, had a big role in. But his people were kind of putting me off and said, well, he's involved with repatriation flights. And I thought, repatriation, you know, is this like remains of soldiers or what it is? But the ambassador was heavily involved in Vietnamese trying to get home to the United States because they've seen very few COVID cases, at least of a few weeks ago, I haven't uh, kept up. So I have all these flights of people uh, leaving the United States that the ambassador had to be heavily involved in. So he wanted to do the podcast and he did it, but it just kind of, kind of threw me. Yeah. So like, what's your, what's your technique? I mean, you, do you have like people feeding you information? Like, this is what we want to get a soundbite on. Like, and like, do you have any like war stories of like things that went wrong or like, you know, you got, you got to get like a, 
you got a curveball question or, you know, you offend a guest or something like that. Any stories like that? Well, none that I can think of uh, 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 off, offhand. Um, you know, you do an hour and a half. I only do 20 minutes. Um, you know, mine, my podcast is going to focus on courage and character and how people have sort of, what I try to get from people is kind of beyond the PowerPoint version of what they've been involved with, right? And kind of, kind of give a little bit of a backstory. So I can't think of it, you know, any, any of them really uh, going wrong. And I, I'll be honest, maybe I'm a little lazy, but we try to do it in 20 minutes where you're not editing it. I mean, I, I've really done very few edits on any of the podcasts that you, um, that you hear. So sorry, I, I wish I had some kind of um, better, <laughs> better stories. Uh, Josh Rogan from, you know, the Washington Post had some really, you know, he kind of launched in the stories about John McCain that I didn't, uh, expect. I just kind of roll with it. Those are in there. So that ended up being a part one and a part two, because we only normally do 20 minutes. Um, so that kind of surprised me. I didn't realize how much he had traveled with uh, John McCain and how much he had to say, but you know, nothing, nothing, there's nothing wrong with it. So I want to, I want to, I want to get back to the West Point stuff, but before we get there, I mean, I, and we'll go through the West Point and talk about the army and everything else, but I'm so fascinated by this McCain stuff because he recently passed away, you know, a year and a few months ago. Right. And uh, so it was it was evident that he was going to be dying while you were there. Right. So like everybody was was preparing for his passing and there was all that sort of like, you know, stuff with, uh, you know, in the in the media about like Trump. And what was that like inside? What's the inside inside the inside the uh, headshed kind of conversations like like were people like trying to think about like, oh, hey, how are we going to how are we going to commemorate this man's life? after he passes do you, do you begin like already like preparing for like what stories you're going to run after he passes or how like his funeral like how does how does that all go down yeah i mean the legacy i you know the folks that had been with him for an awful uh long time were involved in the planning process and he himself was involved in the planning process it was interesting that hbo uh, documentary for whom the bell tolls we were all invited to to see that we actually showed it at our annual conference before he had died, which was interesting. You know, not everybody exactly liked that. Um, you know, the funeral in that week, you could see that had been heavily planned and dare I say, uh, uh, choreographed. I had very little to do with that kind of little ancillary roles, but I remember kind of months after I, I was, you know, trying to advance relations with Arizona State University and their marketing and communications department. I had this kind of whole, you know, as you, as you do, agenda uh, out there and, you know, out west. And I was walking into a building and I got a call from from John McCain's old campaign manager saying, you know, we've, we've had it. You know, uh, the president is spouting off again about, uh, about McCain, which is, this was after the funeral, right? You know, you had a few kind of rounds after the funeral, which were odd, and we need to set the record straight. So I got had to drop everything I was doing. And all we really did was just put out a, a fact sheet saying, here's facts about John McCain and his military record and other things. And that went down well, but the goal was to get it on the morning shows the, the next morning. You can go out there and you, you can see it. Brian Williams and a lot of morning shows. No, he wasn't a morning show, but, uh, people picked it up. But the part that kind of humbled me is they, somebody came back, uh, General Petraeus is on our board and he says, well, maybe you ought to add some of his uh, uh, military decorations. So we did the, yeah, fair enough, I can do that. And then Petraeus was like, 
editing. <laughs> he was like, no, you got this wrong. You got this, <laughs> this should be. <laughs> so we had some kind of high powered help on, uh, on, on John McCain's record. So uh, for me, that was, you know, uh, I don't know. It was interesting. Yeah. I know like with Ronald Reagan, they had, such a choreographed like funeral and the whole thing. And uh, I was at the Ronald Reagan library last year and they had been planning his funeral for like 10 years because the guy just kept on living. You know, he was, you know, diagnosed with Alzheimer's and just kept on going, kept on like, but the whole thing, like to the very, like to the time that the sun was going to be setting and how they were going to sort of like have the funeral and where it was going to be. And everything was all set that way. So uh, enough about funerals and enough about, um, these types of things. Yeah. So let, let's get back to the, the West Point uh, story. So Shannon Beebe ends up becoming like one of your closest friends. I mean, this is a guy you ra you randomly run into at Arkansas. You're not in the same company, but the reality is you guys got long car rides home. You guys share a lot of like stories and a lot of common, um, a, a, a lot of common traits because you come from Arkansas, right? Basically is, is, is what, is what kind of was the genesis of your, uh, yeah, I mean, Shannon and I would travel back together. We spent an awful lot of time together. Um, you know, he went to 11th Armored Cavalry Regiment as an artilleryman, and I was hoping to go to 2nd Armored Cavalry Regiment as a as an engineer. The unit went away before I could get there. So we just had a lot of, we kind of had this cavalry. We were mule riders together. I was the head mule rider, and as the head mule rider, you can bring a senior on to, you know, in your senior year, and Shannon, he had been on the equestrian team, and and other things, so kind of, you know, brought him on board, and we were uh, teamed up uh, uh, on that, and then, we, you know, we kept up, I mean, uh, he, we served in different places in Germany, but, you know, I kept up with Shannon, and when he uh, came back, oh gosh, I guess late in his captain's or early major years in D.C., we went, we actually, when we were coming back from Germany, we stayed in the same house with him for a while as we got settled in, so, yeah, I mean, I, you know, Shannon and I were very, very, very close. And so tell me about the, um, the, the mule riding thing. So how, how does it, like you said that people think you're from Arkansas. So like, you're just some, you know, farm boy that knows how to ride mules and whatever. Right. Yeah, and that was I, not I, the case. Arkansas. I'm sure I resemble that in some moments, but, <laughs> but you know, I tried out, it was my outlet. I mean, and I'm so lucky looking back, I guess probably a lot of people can relate that you need something that you can kind of have as an outlet at, at West Point. I'd never visited before I went there. I didn't have, you know, family close by and the like. So, so, you know, I tried out, I guess at some point, you know, plebe year, you go and try out and, and a pretty formal process. You ride. And I was so lucky that I got Spartacus, who was like the shortest mule because you had to like jump on the Spartacus. And Spartacus was so easy to handle. So I did okay with the, the riding tryout. If I had another one, one of the other mules, I probably wouldn't have done so well. And then they had a big interview and I did <laughs> – I did well in the interview. People, you know, find this kind of hard to believe, but I think there were 15 or 20 people that, that cadets that tried out. And the, the interview question that stumped a lot of folks, they would say, look, you got a birthday party request on a weekend. It's a specialist. Can, would you do it? Yes, of course you would. But then a colonel comes along and has a birthday party at the exact same time. What do you do? And I guess some people said, well, the colonel has more rank. You go there. Um, some people, I guess, would say, tell the colonel to get bent. Um, nobody had kind of heard my answer that said, well, maybe I could talk to the Colonel and the specialist could have a joint birthday party and they could both have the mules there and have a joint birthday party. And that they had never heard that answer before. 
And that seemed to be what uh, kind of won me my spot. Brilliant. You should be like negotiating world peace or whatever, right? So <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Look for, look for the, uh, the, the win-win. I mean, that probably was looking back. I don't know. <laughs> the win-win, yeah. yeah. So, so what did it actually entail? Like, do you actually have to take these mules to birthday parties for kids and stuff? Like, is that, is that like your weekend duty if you're like one of the, one of the mule yeah, riders? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, you, you could – yeah, because you had the mule riding team, and you get these requests, and I suppose you kind of divvy it out amongst you. But but yeah, you would go to birthday parties, you go to you'd have tailgate party requests before the the game. But you know, we had a lot of fun. I like to just ride during the week. For me, my outlet, the outlet part for me is you know these mules are so much like horses. I mean, they you, know, you could do the steps or as fast. A couple of the mules are faster than about any horse. But to ride up in those redoubts and and and, and ride up in the trails, well, what that was just for me my kind of getaway, right? And then and then it was my first public affairs job. Um, Kodak's been in the news now, but the CEO of Kodak, well, Malcolm Forbes, you know, Ma I don't think Malcolm Forbes, he was kind of old, but Forbes had a big tailgate there, and they always wanted to see the mules there. Tex Turner always wanted to see uh, the mules. The frustrating part was everybody always wanted to feed the mules. We never wanted the mules fed before the game because they'd be frothing at the mouth and whatever else. But, you know, I kind of like the idea of being fed <laughs> sometimes. We didn't normally catch up the food till till after the game. But, boy, a lot of lot of great memories of, of uh, you know, people met and, and everything else. Hell, I, I, I'm rambling here, but I, I tell you, you know, a seminal experience for me is we got a request to take a mule down to the Intrepid uh, in New York, you know, the, the carrier for some dinner that Colin Powell was having. We didn't get to go to the dinner, but there was something before, and I think it was tied to the Boy Scouts uh, jamboree. So I remember taking the, the mule down to the Intrepid and seeing, you know, teenage kids that had certainly never seen a mule. And then you had kind of me, Hick from Arkansas. I'd been to New York before, but I'd never talked to, you know, uh, uh, teenage and, and uh, kids from New York. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of neat experiences from that. And all kinds of stories when we take the mules we wouldn't take the mules on the road. You know, we take them to Yale about as far as we go. So if we went anywhere else, we'd have to rent a mule, which was always kind of a big, uh, a big adventure. Oh, so it was like an imposter when you rent a mule. It's I, not I, the actual. I'll give you, I'll see if I can get this across. So, so connect a lot of things here. Remember we had a good football team and we played in the Sun Bowl. Right. And I got to go, right? So, okay. Like, okay, you're going to, a couple of us got to go and like, you can get to ride the mule in the Sun Bowl. How cool is this? CBS, blah, blah, blah. So we go to the old, is it Fort Bliss, old El, pa old El Paso Riding Club? I'm like, okay, it's fine. I'm kind of blowing it off because I'm like, you know, most of us back then, I wanted to go out and have fun or whatever else. I'm like, whatever mule will be fine. You know, it's like, <laughs> go there. And these folks had come from everywhere bringing their mules to be the Army mule for the Sunbow, right? They'd come from all over the place. And I ride some and I find this really nice mule. And I'm like, oh, this mule will be great. And you know, I didn't even have boots on. I like had dock shoes on or something. I felt like a goofball these boys these look like real cowboys you know uh there but i you know i rode okay and out of nowhere this guy says well um you know i got a cannon here don't you fire a cannon at the game and i'm like well yeah but i've never thought of this he's like well we ought to try and see how this mule will do with a cannon I mean, looking back probably saved my life so he fired this <laughs> cannon this old and, and it threw me i mean i got thrown i, I like this I, I stayed on like two or three bucks and that mule threw the hell out of me and I got back on, it threw me twice. And I'm like, this mule's not going to work. <laughs> you know, and, and who knew? You know, it would have happened on TV. So then the, then we went for a second one. And I'm like, okay, well, this, you know, then the cannon was was fine. But here was the funny part. I go to the game, and I don't know, 
this hearing thing that caught up to me or not, I could have swore they were saying the mule's name was Ellicott or Elliot or something like that, right? So I don't think it was Jim Nance, but whoever was doing the sidelines came over and interviewing me and talking to the, you know, the owner of this mule was so proud during the game, whatever else. The name of the mule was Miss Elegant Ass, which I never caught up to until they were on CBS talking about it. You know, how what a name for uh, for a, a temporary army mule. But but uh, yeah. so they, so they basically fully admitted that those were imposter mules. It wasn't like Spartacus Buckshot and Ranger who were the, like it was like the this stand-in mule that we had at the uh, at the Sun Bowl. Yeah, and you'd have to. Well, the reason that was what I was told is. They they tried to take they took the mules to the Pontiac Dome a couple years before we got there, and uh, the mule would never go in the stadium, and it ended up being a big uh, newspaper thing about how much money they'd spent to get the mules to the Pontiac uh, Dome uh, and how much money it was. It was like one of those kind of you know five hundred dollar hammer kind of stories. Uh, so then, then they put a radius in place that you couldn't. So it made for some interesting stories. When we played Vanderbilt, you know, really nice mule there. And this guy, this guy gave me this big jug of moonshine afterwards because he was real proud that we had used this mule. And you know, it made some of these mules. So let me ask. You, this is a really stupid question, but a mule and a burro are the same thing, right? The burro is like the is like its Spanish name for mule. Well, I used to remember all this. Is kind of embarrassing. No, I mean a donkey and a mule. Are, are, are different. A mule has a heck of a lot more horse in them, is what it kind of comes down to, than a, than a donkey. Okay, okay. Hey, were you in Boy Scouts, by the way? Were you a Boy Scout? Uh, I, I barely made it through Weeblos. Oh, did you? All right. Well, I, I, sp I spent uh, a lot of time in Scouts myself growing up, but then I, I was a Scout leader and I took my son to Philmont, which is this, like seminal Boy Scout, you know, thing. And and for this, we're 70, 75 mile backpacking trip. But for two of the days, you can actually have a burrow with you, right? And these burrows are a pain in the ass. Like, I would never do it again because they're just, they're, they'll kick the kids. Like, they won't carry anything. They're a pain in the ass, you know? And a few months before we got there, there, <laughs> there was a troop from Queens. <laughs> Queens. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> they got so frustrated with their burrow. <laughs> They, it's terrible. They pushed them off a cliff. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's rough. No, no. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, I get that. Mules can be, you know, donkey. But the, the Army mules, we had, of course, Blackjack died while we were there unexpectedly. We were given by Jack Daniels. Really amazing, you know, horse could beat about any horse and, 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 and whatever else. But when we needed to replace uh, blackjack, because we historically have three mules, but I guess they decided we ought to go in for four, right? Just to have a backup so you don't end up down to two. So, um, you know, I guess victory has a thousand fathers, but I really feel like I, more than anybody else, got the name two mules while I was there. And uh, we talked about this already, but one, um, the, the name Traveler came across, not so politically correct now, but kind of Arkansas Traveler and Robert E. Lee's uh, uh, horse. <laughs> and then, uh, my buddy Jim pulled up in an Isuzu Trooper, and I thought, hey, Trooper is a nice name for a mule, so another mule got named Trooper. So you have some other mascot stories too, right? That, that you said that there was a lot a lot going on there with uh, with the uh, different mascots. I'm gonna share, I'm sharing my screen right now. Hopefully I'm sharing the right screen. Here's a picture of you. You see this? You see the screen? 
I see that. I, and, you know, I, I just finished uh, Ted Russ's book, Spirit Mission, and and I really think there's he's missing a chapter. It's an amazing story. And uh, this picture shows, I mean, that's, that's Billy uh, with an A shaved in his butt. And as I remember this, and I think I have this right, and I think what makes sense now is, you know, Russ talks about how the, they got the goat in the mess hall and then they handed it over. Well, I think what happened is it got handed over to the head vet, right, at the vet clinic, which is where the mules stayed. Because that's how I remember it is like, hey, you need to look after the, this, this goat. We're going to figure out what to do with it. Um, so we, and then uh, again, I'm taking too much credit, I suppose, but, but I thought, well, let's put an A on it. And then we thought, well, we got to hand it back to Navy. And as I understand it, though, I don't remember seeing it exactly at the game, but I, I really think I did. Um, so I think Ted's mission was more uh, complete than he realized. This goat went back because I think it was so close to the game. It just made sense to, when we're taking the mules and everything else to Philadelphia to take this goat and hand it off before the game. And I think Davey's like, well, this will work because then we'll have the goat at the game. They didn't see the A coming, right? Because they were going to have it on the sidelines with an A uh, on it. So we handed it off at the stadium, just like Ted wanted. But then they took it right out of the stadium because they were going to have a Navy goat with an A on it during the game. So what happened was these guys, because they went in there with, with masks on or like bags over their heads so they wouldn't get busted, which was like completely ridiculous. They handed it off to Scott Clemenson, who got it, and I guess handed it off to you guys. So you guys actually took it to the game. You took the goat to the game. Right, right. So Because I had to get back to Navy anyway, and I think it was so close. It must have been. It was Navy week, right? So that that all that's exactly how I remember it. And I think it was like, well, great. You're just going to hand it back, and no harm, no foul. You know, Billy will be part of the game. But, but they didn't see the A on it, so Billy didn't get to stay at the game. <laughs> So here's Shannon. He was a mule rider with you first a year. He didn't. He wasn't a mule. He didn't earn his stripes. You. He basically leveraged the relationship with with Luke to get onto the onto the team, right? Well, that's that's right. As a, as a first, you could bring somebody else on, and, and and yeah. But you know, Shannon was more accomplished rider and everything else than I was. All right, cool. That's a, that's a cool memory. I'm I'm gonna stop the sharing there. Is that that's great. That's great. It's great to get good memories of Shannon too, because you know, I mean, Shannon, what a what a bigger than life person, right? I mean, he's I so so dearly missed. I, I knew him pretty well. I mean, I knew him from class committee. And I knew him. I think I had a class or two with him. But it's really interesting to talk to you, who really knew him. I mean, you guys, would, you drive home from West Point, you have like fifteen hour car rides together, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, Shannon as a as a cadet. I mean, that, the, <laughs> He, he he knew a lot of people. He ran, as we know, he ran for class president. He, his grades kind of suffered, I think, as a result because he was kind of working the, the hallways and the like. But, um, yeah, I mean, he uh, – I've seen a lot of people give speeches, and maybe I'm biased, but Shannon could give a speech like nobody's business. And I still to this day don't know exactly where he got that from. I've met his parents, all that kind of thing, and uh, he could just really – put together uh, 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 a speech and yeah, he just, he just always had so many things going on. I mean, uh, you know that, I mean, uh, uh, this will sound kind of strange, but we'd come back from Germany. This was, uh, I guess, probably a young uh, major and Shannon said, well, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm playing polo now. I want to be on the army polo team. And, you know, Shannon had ridden uh, and, and, and the like, 
and you know, went out and watched him. And uh, you know how I, you think about that. I mean, he had ridden, but it had been years since he had ridden. And he just decided he wanted to to play polo. That's kind of how he was. That was how he took up flying, right? He says, I'll, I'm going to play polo and I'm going to fly planes. And, and he just went out and did it, right? Um, the flying didn't work out so well for him. But uh, tell you what, you know, I think we all can recognize his life was short, but uh, it was uh, it was very full. By the way, we should say hello to a few people that have jumped on the line here. And uh, first of all, Beth uh, Beth Bayuth, Eddie Bayuth's wife, says hello. She just uh, she oh. chimed in. She's uh, Eddie was in my company, and I got a I got a chance to spend some time with with Beth last yeah, year. Yeah, I remember Eddie. Yeah, <laughs> very cool. Yeah, and we got um, uh, Dan Clark, Scott Fight, uh, Brian Brian Mackey. Um, I can't see the other names here. Dave Peak. So welcome everybody. I think we've got a little bit of a spotty connection tonight. I'm I'm getting some complaints on Facebook, but. The uh, the sound that that I'm ha that I'm having that's going to go to be recorded on the podcast uh, is going to be solid. So hopefully you guys can listen to it on Podbean and be able to um, fill in the blanks on the spottiness here. So 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 Luke, uh, we're uh, about uh, two thirds of the way through the podcast time, and so we're just getting up through West Point. But when you think about West Point, what what were some of your most poignant memories from? from your company or from Buckner or like what, what, what rings out to you as like your, your favorite times at West Point? Well, I don't know, I don't know if I'll start with favorite times, but reading uh, Ted's uh, 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 book, it kind of brought back memories of our attack, Phil Pope. Cause I really think that, you know, in his book where he talks about that banner up in the uh, North area saying back off or die was kind of had to be based on our uh, tactical officers. So, but, you know, those, I guess you think of, you know, C4 kind of laid back, but then we had one of the hardest tacks and one of the toughest uh, kind of environments around there for our, for our plebe year. And so then it's the, you know, it's, it's what everybody falls back to. It's, 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 it's how you kind of got through it uh, uh, together. I, I feel like I kind of at times did things too much on my own, but I look back a uh, Ralph Paredes, a uh, Greg Anderson, the kind of, you know, the roommates and, and the people that, that I had, I think that's what everybody kind of falls back to is the people that you uh, kind of struggled through things with uh, 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 together. Um, you know, the mule riding was a big thing uh, for me. This is, you know, not the top moment or anything as a cadet, but I was the black knight my first year, right? Because as a, as a plebe, when you go to Army Navy, you actually got to be the black knight. And you know, just kind of interesting to ride into the game and, you know, people in Philadelphia get excited about uh, the Black Knight. And then you could walk anywhere, 50-yard line. Uh, I get he's, we don't think about him as great now, but, you know, Bill Cosby, hey, I can go shake Bill Cosby's hand, Pete Dawkins, and I could stand on the 50-yard line and watch the, the game. I don't know. I mean, it's just kind of something that kind of stood out to me. I suppose it's uh, those kind of things. You're like, um, but here's, here's a very random one. And I didn't realize this till, uh, Facebook, you know, a week or so ago, everybody remembers having president Bush, uh, speak and hand us our diplomas and all that. I mean, how, how neat and, and how he'd had the heart fibrillation and, you know, they weren't clear where he was going to handle it. But I didn't, I didn't remember that Brent Scowcroft was there, uh, and shook people's hands and things like that. So that's, that's kind of random things. Um, but you know, I, I, uh, I think I'm also like a lot of people It you know, it wasn't a, it wasn't a picnic every day, right. <laughs> for the, for the four years, I wouldn't say that I'm a, a gray hog and every day I was like, Oh, it was great to, 
to, to, to, to, to be at West Point. I'm very proud to have gone there, but I, you know, I think I'm like a lot of folks. It was a, it was kind of a day at a time and get your way through kind of deal. I imagine when you're doing the army Navy games and you're down there and you're kind of like taking that all in that, that there's gotta be a few moments there where you're thinking to yourself, wow, I want to just try to remember this moment, like right there, like right at that moment, like, like with the whole crowd, you know, going nuts and the flyover and the, I mean, that's got to be just a real sort of epic moment for you, I think. Or or the alma mater, of course. I mean, that's got to be singing second, you know, three out of four years. Yeah, I, I think that's, I think that's, I think that's right. Um, you kind of fast forward a little bit. I was on the Army staff and I did something called, you know, external partnerships for senior Army leadership. And for the Army Navy game, we would help out Army uh, uh, protocol. The, the Secretary of the Army and the Chief Staff of the Army would throw people on buses and bring them to the game. And, you know, kind of neat thing to get to do. But that was in that streak where we were losing all the games as well, right? So so it was, it was kind of interesting. You would try to kind of get people fired up uh, 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 and the like. Yeah, it seems like I should remember more about the standout times and things of when I was there. It's kind of interesting. It's, your your it's, Army Navy experience has got. I mean, a little different. From, I imagine you're like on a trip section. You can't like go down the night before and get hammered and show up and like barely make formation. Like you got to be you got to be there like, and 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 be be on point, right? If you're riding the mule for the Army Navy game, right? Yeah, I I, I kind of blew it that that same time I was the black diet. It was such a neat day, right? It was cool. And I get back to the hotel and there were different offers of parties and things to go. And I just wasn't quick enough uh, to, 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 to go. And, you know, just too naive, I guess. So I get back to my hotel room and what had happened is my bag had ended up in some truck and I didn't have my stuff. So when you're the black knight, you wear about what you had combat boots, black pants, black shirt, all black, right? So I get back to the official hotel and all I have is black and I don't have my bag. And I'm like, I want to go out, right? And I'm like, this sucks. <laughs> is the, so, the black knight? So I go down to the official party, but people are looking at me like, who is this goober, you know, all in black and, you know, my hair is all sweaty, whatever. So I'm feeling really awkward to so go up to my room. They throw me in with some roommate I didn't know. <laughs> and he had some clothes there. So I, I'm like, I don't think he'll mind. I'll just... I'll just, you know, borrow some clothes here. What the hell? So I can go to this party. I go down and I wasn't there for a minute. The guy's like, hey, what are you doing? Where are my stuff? And I'm like, hey, I'm sorry, pal. You know, I just had to explain it. And But the official party was an absolute bummer. So, yeah, I didn't have great Army Navies uh, after the game. That's for sure. Well, we were, when I was a plebe, one of the cows forgot his gray trout. His gray trout. He shows up, pulls out his bag. He's only got the dress gray top. He's got <laughs> nothing on the bottom. So he actually wore jeans <laughs> with <laughs> with electric tape down the side. Like he actually made like a stripe, and they, we boxed him in the middle of the formation so you couldn't see who he was. But that's that's a pretty that's a pretty crazy memory from Army that Navy. Makes me feel a little, a little better. I, and this, you know, this isn't that funny, but I, in looking back, you know, you learn leadership lessons. I didn't handle this terribly well, so I was the ODIA liaison, I guess, my uh, senior year on brigade staff. And I remember learning, and I had this right, that they actually, you know how we all stand to watch the game, that they actually were selling a good bit of our seats because they counted on us standing and being kind of so smashed in. And I just remember getting all upset about that, going like, wait a minute, we're paying for these seats, and you're like selling the fact that we're, and, you know, and I went at it in a 
you know, made a big stink about it and whatever else. I think they did address it, but I pissed a lot of people off the way I did. Same thing for hockey games. They're actually doing the same thing. They were kind of selling, selling our seats that we were paying for, a percentage of them. But, you know, you learn. It's like there's a way to go about things the right way, and there's a way to not go about things. And I was probably guilty of the latter. Yeah, that is that is definitely a maturity thing. I'm thinking about that with my own kids trying to – my daughter is like, you know, wanting to change the world the way that she does. I'm like, listen, there's a, there's a, there's a way to do it that's right, and there's a way to do it where you're going to be burning bridges. And let's think about like how you want to do that. But it's funny, you know, I didn't I didn't realize till first of the year that we're paying for those tickets. I remember Bernie Christensen was like going through our little, um, you know, you go to top off like get the money that was like left over in your account, and they give you like this itemized sort of expense thing of your books, your uniforms, dot da 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 da, football tickets. He goes. We're paying for football tickets. We we are being charged to watch the game, and uh, I never realized that until first year. I'm like, yeah, that that yep. seems wrong. You know, like if I'm a, if I'm going to be put on the area, and you're not going to let me, you know, go to the game, I want a refund. You know, because I've already right. paid for that right. ticket. And then for them to be double selling a number of those tickets. That's same. right. That's probably that's probably what they're doing. They're probably saying, let's let's give a bunch of slugs to kids so we could sell their sell their seats. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. That's funny. Well, um, so so tell me about. So you have a funny army story, I guess. You were mentioning that when you first got to Germany, I guess you had a little bit, a little bit much to drink in a in a dining oh, in yeah. or something. I, I, or what I, happened there? I t yeah. So you know, I wanted to be. Uh, I wanted to go to Second Armored Cavalry Regiment, right? So I went to Scout Platoon Leader School, <laughs> and I guess even before I was going to Scout Platoon Leader School, I remember calling over. And I had a sponsor, and it was going to be in Bayreuth, Germany. It all sounded great. And the guy says, yeah, emailed, or, I, I, you know, you didn't have too much email going in, but he says, well, we're going away. This unit's going away. I'm like, well, what does that mean for me? He says, I don't know, but you're not coming here because we're going away. So then I I was supposed to go to a bridge unit, and I thought that's all I have to say is, you know, I, I, my stuff went to like three or four different stops, I guess is what had happened. But I, you know, I thought I had really done the right thing. I had specifically asked, well, I need my uh, blues. You know, well, I need my, yeah, I'm sure that was right. I said, do I need my blues? And they're like, oh, no, there's no events. You don't need your blues or anything. We're fine. There's nothing upcoming. So I get there. Two weeks in, dining in, everybody's supposed to wear their blues. So I go, I'm the only one of my greens. And I use that as an excuse, but I did feel very awkward. Everybody else was wearing their blues. And I specifically, and then my stuff, you know, I say two weeks. It probably had been there a couple of months because my stuff went all over Europe, as it turned out. Um, but so that was one thing. I was feeling kind of ill at ease. And I didn't drink a lot at, 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 at West Point. I mean, I, I really didn't. Uh, uh, I guess I had my moments. But but uh, the old grog bowl got me. You know, the old <laughs> fill up the grog bowl and all that stuff in there. Everybody drinks the, a little bit of it. Yeah. Kept giving me stuff. And it's it, it, and, and you know, looking back, I mean, it could have done me in. But I mean, I. You know, we've all, I shouldn't say, oh, well, because I had this, you know, I'm thinking, well, I'm okay. And my head's like pretty much on the table and I'm kind of hiding. I'm thinking, well, nobody's, you know, I'll just kind of somehow hide, I guess. Well, it didn't really hide that well. I, I didn't completely uh, debauch myself, but I was very clear that I was inebriated. And the brigade commander even took notice, which is not really what you want. He'd come down, you know, he didn't see him too often. He came down for this uh, dining in. He knew me my name for like two or three months. Uh, which wasn't a very cool thing. I thought, man, I'm done. You know, I'm like the, I'm like the screw up lieutenant. You know, <laughs> but it turned around. I, I you know, I, I, you know, had a good, 
good platoon and we did some good things and ended up being a distinguished leader and all that kind of stuff. Was but, that your engineer but, brigade commander or your task force? Yeah, yeah, I was the engineer brigade commander. So I, I, he was he was a big deal in our um yeah. Uh, so you know, at the time people kind of it's interesting though, isn't it? I mean, uh, um, now there's a lesson there, right? I learned a pretty good lesson. It could have gone, it could have actually really, uh, gone a lot worse than it did, but, but, uh, I bounced back from it. Okay. You know, I, I mean, you, I, you served 21 years career army, you know, so much more than I do about these things. But I, I recall, cause I was an engineer officer too, that at the time they were just going through this big restructuring initiative, the ERI engineering restructuring initiative. So, they went from, I think, you know, a bunch of brigades of engineers down to less brigades. So those brigade commanders were like, they're like all these guys were thinking there's all these 06 slots for me to kind of rise into and have a brigade command. And all of a sudden they were cut in half, right? So a lot of those guys were kind of pissed off, I think, at the time. A lot of those those 06s. Yeah, I mean, I didn't have a great insight on that at the time, but that does sound... That does sound right. I mean, and, and you know, we know that was the early nineties. There were all these kind of cuts, peace dividend and everything looking back, right. Even as we were trying to figure out the Balkans, I suppose, but yeah, there was all kinds of, uh, uh, cuts. Um, you know, the, the company I had as a company commander, I was very proud of. It was a Delta company and 10th engineers and one of the absolute few Delta companies of engineers left. Cause you're right. They got rid of the Delta and echo and, uh, companies as part of that cutback, but this company had such a lineage, from uh, the Korean War that they uh, that they kept it, so that's kind of where was that? Wait, dealt. in the tenth, where in in Germany? It was well. This was this was not in Germany. No, this was in Company Command at Fort Stewart. Um, after after my time in Germany. oh, but because it has such a storied history, that so we can't we can't case these. Yeah, these... so you had a yeah basically you didn't have a Charlie company. You just had a Delta. Ah, interesting, interesting. So you, you mentioned an, another interesting story, which was uh, having to do with the Pentagon and the owner of the Mets and, and our classmate, Mark Beager, saving your bacon. Yeah, so I'll go a little deeper on this. Two things. I'll really tell myself. So, so um, <laughs> yeah, I got to know the Red Sox and the Mets really well. Did better with the Red Sox than the Mets. We won't, we'll leave the Red Sox aside. But um, we knew we had the owner of the Mets coming. He was really big on veterans uh, uh, initiatives, right? And some of the things you know you saw in Major League Baseball do. He was he was behind. So he got us two ways. One, I should have kind of seen this coming. He had a driver that had been to the Pentagon before, and this would be a boring story to a lot of folks. But a driver that knew better. It's like he was going to go to the river entrance, but he was actually supposed to go to another entrance. So me and this other colonel were already running across the Pentagon to catch up to this guy because this driver knew better and dropped him off at the wrong entrance. So that was okay. The meeting happened. Uh, with my boss at the time and then it was to me to to give a, this guy a tour and I found a tour guide which actually didn't work out very well because this tour guide was from Philadelphia <laughs> and couldn't resist kind of getting in a few jabs <laughs> at the owner of the Mets so there's there's that and then I'm walking and trying to fill in the blanks and do stuff and I don't know if you've ever had this happen before I really tell myself Fred Wolfon great guy very distinguished you know really nice looking suit I'm talking and a bit of spit, you know, you just really want to have that in these COVID times, comes off and like lands on his shoulder. And I'm like, crap, I wonder if he's going to, does he see that or not? I'm like, I was like, what do I do? Wait, his own and spit he, or your spit? My spit. Oh, my you, spit. You, 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 you hocked a loogie. I'm talking about, 
<laughs> no, nothing, nothing normally happened. I don't spit on people normally, but just, I don't know what the hell the deal was. This bit of spit, you know, land on his you know, $2,000 suit. And I'm like, well, maybe he doesn't notice. What do I do? Oh my he God. takes a couple steps and he goes, and I'm like, oh, he noticed. <laughs> so he doesn't say anything. So I get through all that, but the tour wasn't a huge success, you know, in some respects. I mean, I don't know. I showed him things the Pentagon he might not have otherwise seen. So that's fine. It's my job to hand him back off. And he was going to have dinner with uh, my boss, Army Vice Chief, that night. And I, That's you know, uh, Chiarelli, you said, right? He exactly told me when the dinner was, to be quite honest. You know how it is in chains of command. I was new to the unit. Nobody exactly told me when it was. I assumed it was at 7. That didn't really matter. His staff, it's like I learned a lot about the Mets. You know, he has his Sterling Equities, it was called then. He had kind of his equity outfit. And then he had his Mets folks, and they were kind of two different teams that moved him around and did things, right? Um, so uh, <laughs> I'm thinking a lot of different things now. But but the, the simple story was he wanted to know when – his folks want to know when he was supposed to show up for dinner, and they were worried about traffic. You know, it's D.C. and where he was coming from and that kind of thing. And I said, well, you know, dinner's at 7. You know, I think it was 6.30 for drinks or whatever else. You know, where you're at, it, it, it probably shouldn't take more than 15 minutes, but with traffic, it could take 30 minutes. So that classic Army fashion, his security folks talked to his other folks. They backed it up, so he showed up the general's yeah, house. You throw an extra six. half an hour just on top of that. Yeah, you know, exactly. Leave so it at 4.30 in the afternoon. Yeah. So he showed up at the general's house, and I wasn't you – know, later on, I was on the scene for these dinners for another boss, but I wasn't anywhere on the scene for this, wasn't allowed to be anywhere close to it. So apparently he showed up at 6.15 and rings the doorbell. And the general's like upstairs getting dressed because, you know, he's not expecting by until you know, 6.30, but socially late, right? You know, 6.40, that kind of thing, 6.50. So Mark Beeger, our classmate, aide, who's going to help make the dinner happen, like had to tell the owner of the Mets jokes for like 15 or 20 minutes till the, I don't know, however long it took till the general could get dressed and come downstairs. So Mark was <laughs> there ahead of time. Mark, he's the, he's the general's aide, so he's there ahead of time, just was ready to just like right, right. He just was, run yeah, interference. Yeah. Okay. And thank God, because I mean that you know this general was not happy about you know uh, he couldn't understand what had happened kind of thing. So I heard about it the next morning. Um, and so, so you weren't you weren't there to actually even deal with the thing that was happening. It was just it was happening unbeknownst to you. Yeah, I couldn't have. It's funny because I, I worked for the, the the next army vice chief of staff and <laughs> used to do the dishes after the dinner and and was on the scene to be able to do things and go pick people up and that kind of thing. But this one, yeah, it was awful. I didn't, you know, as far as I knew, the dinner had gone great. Then I heard the next morning, I think Beegs and Romy said, what happened? I'm like, well, what do you mean, what happened? And and uh, tried to figure out the whole, you know, what how things got miscommunicated and why the guy showed up so early. I'm like, well, I'm not really sure. I mean, I don't think I gave him bad advice, but, you know, I did take responsibility for it. I sent a, a big email to the general saying, I'm sorry. And then Beegs actually came back to me and says, well, General doesn't even really know who you are until you send him that email. So. <laughs> it's fascinating, this whole inside baseball, like the things that happen behind the scenes, like staffs coordinating with each other and trying to make sure that, you know, you get so-and-so at XYZ point by this time and how that all like, how that all goes down. It's uh, it's interesting. And it's, it's up to the general's aide to figure all that shit out, I guess, basically. That's why those, that's why it's such a high-profile position. It's teamwork, too. I mean, you know, it's nothing against uh, Beeks at all. He did the best he can, and there had been you know, just, you know, the, the next guy that I worked for, I was much more part of the team, and the communication was so much smoother, and I had, like, 
you know, calendar access where I can actually see <laughs> what was happening when and what was going on. It, but you're right. It is. It's, it's funny. So as I told you in the prequel, the time was going to go flying way, way by all so, so quickly. We've been talking for an hour and 15 minutes and we're kind of like working towards the end. Um, you, you mentioned here that, uh, I asked the question like, how often do you look back and follow back on your West Point foundational experiences as, as a means to pull you through a difficult time? You say it's almost weekly. Um, can you, can you expound upon that further and, 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 uh, give us some perspectives on that? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think I'm alone in this. I think that, uh, you know, we used to all the time say, Hey, I got a bit of a fair day. Right. I think that, I think that maybe works for a lot of us. You'll go and go, wow, you know, I have a day or a week or a sequence that I just don't exactly know how this is going to work out. How am I going to do this? Or this is an open deal there. And I really think it is West Point and those times when you're like, well, I'm failing two classes and, you know, I'm getting haze over here and I got to do this and I got to do that. But you just figured it out, right? You're like, I'm going to, I'm going to work my way through this. Um, I, I really think that was it's just valuable training. Cause I still use that though. There's to be times where I'll go, I'm, it'll sound silly, but like the, the podcast with the, uh, the Vietnam ambassadors, it was a little bit the same way. It wasn't a complete fair day thing, but you know, I got a fairly uh, new boss and there was pressure on me to deliver that. And we all know this pandemic and everything's kind of tricky and, and you just, you know, how's this going to work? And you just, you just kind of lean on that and say, Hey, you know how to work your way through these things. You've, you've, you've done it before and, 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 and you can kind of work your way through it. That's uh that's great. I, I had a fair week, uh, not last week, but the week before last, I was just trying to get a bunch of stuff done and I actually called it, the, I called it a fair week to one of my team members is that this is what we call a fair week. And, and I explained what the, what the origin was of that. So I just used that just very, very recently. So, um, so Luke, I mean, you've had, phenomenal career you i think if there's anybody that um you know you are you're just another another example of somebody living our values of uh, duty shall be done you know 21 year career in in the army you continuing to be involved in your community continuing to serve through the mccain institute it's just it's an honor to have you on the podcast it's an honor to have you as one of our classmates um just curious what kind of final thoughts you might have um, and, and things to leave our classmates with in terms of the impact at West Point or just what this is all about. I'd kind of turn it over to you. Well, I mean, kind of you to, 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 to say that. I mean, I, I think that, um, I mean, I'm proud that uh, I'm still getting to be mission uh, oriented, but um, I'll tell you what, I see so many of our classmates, you know, the things, um, you're doing and people that are kind of stepping out on the charitable and, and fundraising, uh, uh, side. So I, I don't, you know, don't feel, you know, uh, feel like I could do a lot better, uh, on, on that front. But yeah, I, I think that, um, yes, yeah, it's, 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 it's kind of the common bonds, right? I think that's, that's kind of what I get, uh, uh struck by. I, I think of, you know, Mark Beeger working at South Carolina, figuring out how they're going to handle COVID. I mean, I know that seems like a random thing, but, you know, think about that. I think of, you know, our, our, our classmates and where we're at, we're at now and, and the kind of contributions that we make. And so I feel pretty, pretty humble uh, more than, more than anything else. I don't have any great 
you know, wisdom to kind of pass along or anything. I guess it's, if anything, I feel like at times I kind of went a little too solo, right? I mean, I kind of did things in my own ways and my own uh, uh, terms, and I sort of uh, regret maybe not keeping uh, kind of links and connections and and things going as well as I could with uh, classmates or even when I was uh, when I was there. I think for a time there, I, you know, I don't think I'm alone in this, but you just kind of knuckle down and do not the minimum, but just you focus on, you know, what you need to do to kind of get through the place, right? And you look back and you go, boy, the people I admire the most were the ones that were just doing everything that they could do, right? And and those kind of people are are still out there. So I I, I get I'm 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 rambling, but um, you know, you, you kind of pinch yourself that you had the opportunity to go there. Um, <laughs> you know, I'd never uh, like I said, I'd never visited or never really thought I had a chance to to get into the place and now you realize it's uh, you know made maybe not all the difference but boy a good bit of it yeah I think I share that thought with you too it's just it's kind of like a magical experience the fact that we got to go there we were connected to this this greater universe of, of um, people with similar experiences but also similar values and and similar commitment to serve our country and to and to and to do our duty that duty shall be done and um, you know, one of the things that we're talking about too with this, with the um, All Academy Challenge, we talked about this concept of you know, two dash one, kind of a, a mock on that old. Uh, you get in trouble, you get a two dash one. But you know, make contact with two classmates. Do it this week. You know, two people that you maybe don't usually interact with. You know, not your normal sort of people. Just like you know, go beyond, go two or three you know, nodes away and just check on people, do a buddy check, connect in with them, uh, encourage them to get involved in donating to West Point. That's the dash one piece, you know, make one donation, connect to two, two classmates. And, you know, the, you, you mentioned this idea about like feeling like you did things solo at times, but, you know, that was just a part of your experience. Like, you know, this whole, this whole life journey is something that we get to reconnect with. You know, that's one of the beauties that I get, I guess we get with this um, point in time in our lives here, you know, we're in the back nine, we're in our fifties, but we're certainly in a, in a, in a, in a level in terms of um, our lives where we can continue to contribute and continue to lead, continue to, to, to be an example to our kids and to others and be mentors, but also be contributors. So that's the beauty, I think, of this podcast is the beauty of the connections that we have to our classmates is to, uh, is to double down on that commitment that we made back in 1987, you know, service to our country and duty shall be done. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And the stories that you're, um, you know, gosh, getting to catch up the classmates through your uh, podcast, I feel better connected than I have in a while. I know it's not, it might sound strange, but just listening to these podcasts, it kind of inspires me. And the, I, don't, I don't think I was ever not curious about people's stories, but you just, you, you hear them from a different perspective at our age now, right? You kind of have a better understanding. So yeah, I, I agree. We still got work to do. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see you leading the fundraising charge and working for a, a not-for-profit uh, where money's tied at the moment. Uh, um, you, you realize just how important that without money, you don't have mission. And when I think of, you know, cybersecurity, but it's really the decisions being made around the world to do with digital infrastructure and things happening about disinformation. I think people can have maybe if they're not careful, too narrow a view of, uh, of cybersecurity, but I think, uh, 
that is a gift and that is a focus is, is, is huge. And I'm glad we're associated with that. Yeah. I mean, that really was, I, I have to give all the credit to, to others who helped to sort of move the needle in that direction. I mean, uh, Elad Uran, uh, who's a cybersecurity expert, was you know part of the gift committee, and Anthony Noto and a few others said like this is where we need to focus. This is the future, and if we want to basically have a lasting contribution to West Point, this is the place to direct our thirty-year gift. And so, uh, so thank you for mentioning that. And that's that's the purpose of our of our gift is that we're is we're endowing a chair at the Cyber Institute, which is a um, you know retired general officer who gets to sort of run interference for the inter- kind of like sits in between the, the 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 role of the official military institute and the civilian world, and kind of like run interference between those two and and, and bring in uh, major league uh, collaborations. And so uh, that's what we're doing, and that's what we're our thirty year gift is all about. And uh, we are hoping to get to a 91% participation rate. We're at about 66% currently, and uh, I want to get to 91% by the time we graduate, by the time we um, get to our 30th reunion, which is going to be a little over a year from now, hopefully, God willing, with COVID and whatnot. So, um, so Luke, again, thank you for being my guest tonight. It's been wonderful having you. Thank you for continuing to serve our country through the McCain Institute. You're uh, you know, your, your, your decades of service. It's, it's just an honor to call you classmate and friend. So thanks for, thanks for being on. I'm going to run out the, the credits and you can stick around and we'll get a chance to debrief. So thank you everybody. Thanks for joining us to all of our classmates. Oh, you know, one final alibi fire. We got one question, which was, uh, Dan Clark wants to know, what are your man cave hobbies? What are your favorite authors? And, and I guess he's looking at that, at that bookshelf back there with all those books and stuff. So <laughs> give me your man yeah. cave hobby and your favorite book. Well, I, I, I read a lot of books. Um, uh, golf is what, you know, I, I try to get out and hack around. I think we were talking about the, uh, that before. And I don't know, I read a lot of books. I just read a book about the Chicago uh, World Fair in 1893. I think it's called The Devil in the White City. Um, Fascinating. You kind of think about all this happening a hundred years before when we were uh, uh, at, at West Point. It, it, it's it's pretty darn uh, fascinating what happened in Chicago during the World Fair there. But I don't know. I have a long list of books I could go through, but I won't bore you with it. Well, again, Luke, thank you for joining us tonight, and uh, thank you for everybody that joined us on the podcast. I'm going to roll out the the, the credits now. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. Please check back on this Facebook page for information about featured guests and upcoming episodes of the Duty Shall Be Done Old Grad Podcast. All right. Stop the cloud. I stopped the recording. <laughs> okay.